like to invite you to open in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. As we return to a couple verses that we have just hovered over for a few weeks now in preparation for this Christmas season. It's time of preparing our hearts. Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, these two verses, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, will perform this. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open your word, and as we are reminded again and afresh of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the humility with which he came, but the purpose for which he came, these marvelous titles helping us see Uh, him and helping us love him and worship him and adore him and trust him with all that we are, how we thank you and how we praise you. Certainly you have done great things for us through Christ our Savior who meets us in in our points of need and weakness and conflict, who helps us, who is faithful to us. To him we give all praise and glory even as we open your word, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as a uh, word of testimony, Jesus has proven himself many, many times in my life to be the wonderful counselor, especially when life doesn't work out like it does in the movies when life is not wonderful, when stresses and pressures and decisions that need to be made and just the darkness of life itself uh, come in like a, like a storm. And it's hard to see the sun or even notice the sun is there when storm clouds are there. And specifically for me, when I struggle with doubt and fear, the times when I find it hard to believe that God can actually love me despite my many flaws and failures. The times when I ask him, why don't you just give up on me already? Why don't you invest your time and your energy in somebody else who will do a better job with their Christian life? The times when life is not really life. The times when life is more of just existing. It's in those times when I find that he is the wonderful counselor. He never, never leaves me nor forsakes me. He puts his loving arms around me every day, and he lifts me out of those dark places over and over again. He fills me with powerful reminders and promises, words of hope and encouragement from Scripture, gives me a sense of purpose 
and significance, a reason to get up each morning. He surrounds me with people who love me, and he gives me an opportunity each day to reach out with his grace and mercy to others. He truly is the wonderful counselor to me. I have experienced Jesus as my mighty God when. In the past few years, there have been many things that God has put in my life. I had difficulties and praises. My first difficulty was my diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It hit me like a brick wall when they told me I had cancer, but I remained calm throughout it and kept my faith. I prayed much and read Psalms from the Bible each night to calm me and my mighty God brought me through it with praises. My first praise is today, it has been six and a half years later, and I am considered cancer-free and cured. My second praise is how God has used my past illness to help others. God has given me the opportunity to mentor other cancer patients. What a joy it is to know from what I went through, I can bring comfort to others and tell what Jesus did for me. My second difficulty was when I lost my mom to cancer three years ago. If God did not put that in my life, I would not have known how to help my mother and comfort her. I stayed by her side the last two weeks of her life and knew what to ask and do. Again, this was all due to my mighty God and his mercy. And even though it did not turn out how I wanted or thought it would when I lost my mom to cancer, he has had mercy on me to help me and my family get through it. The latest test in my life is just recently when I lost my job of ten and a half years. Not knowing what I was going to do, I had a few interviews, but I really wanted the one job in particular. So I prayed one day as I was driving to work and had a talk with God. I told him if it would be his will that I would like this job, but I could not do it on my own. I needed his help. And lo and behold, two days later, I received a call for an interview, and since then, I have been offered the job. Also, it is no mistake that our talents we have came from God. I am a licensed cosmetologist, and it has been a blessing for me to go into hospitals when someone is ill or nursing homes and be able to cut someone's hair for them. But more importantly, with that talent is not even the haircut, but to provide a friendly visit and talk with them. I thank God for that because this is a blessing to me to be able to do that and have others share stories of their life with me. So these are just some of the ways I experienced Jesus as my mighty God. What a blessing it has been. I was fortunate to have a loving and nurturing dad. Dad was there when I had questions, he was there to encourage me in my activities such as scouting, band, and school. And he was also there to correct me when I did wrong. I can remember one time him chasing me around the backyard, whipping my behind, because I had stuck my hand in the, the chute of a running lawnmower after having been told countless times not to do that. And of course, it nicked a finger. I was fortunate at just that. And he was more interested in getting to my rear end than he was getting to my finger. <laughs> but he was my dad. And I especially loved my dad's love of plants, both the ones that are cultivated and the wild ones that grow out in fields and meadows and forests. 
He knew the difference between oxalis and nettle and Indian paintbrush. And I could ask him on any walk, any time, what is that plant? And he knew it. But dad passed away 17 years ago, and I still miss him, especially when I see one of those plants and wonder, I wonder what that is. Oh, dad would have known. I miss being able to tell him also that I love him. But there's hope. I have experienced Jesus as my everlasting father. Isaiah tells us in so many words that he is our father forever. Hebrews 13 tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He was there when I was conceived. He was there before I was born. He was there before the beginning of the world, before the beginning of time. And I have complete confidence in him that he is here now and will be forever. That puts my heart to ease. Who or what do I fear? Yes, Jesus also corrects me, maybe by not chasing me around my backyard, but in ways that are appropriate. And Jesus is my everlasting Father. He'll always be there. I can celebrate and have complete confidence. He is my everlasting Father. I have experienced Jesus as my everlasting Father when my circumstances in this life feel too big and too overwhelming for me to handle on my own. I can run into his safe and gracious arms of protection, and I am reminded of his sovereignty. When I think about the everlasting life that he has given me, it helps to put things into perspective, especially on hard days. He has shown himself as my everlasting father in the way he daily provides for me. I feel inadequate most days to fulfill the roles that God has given me, and yet he has promised to provide all that I need to be the person that he has called me to be. I get into trouble when I start depending on myself instead of relying on the strength that my Father willingly provides. It is also tempting to look to other things and to people for the provision that can only come from him. When I go down this route, I end up frustrated and empty. He is a good Father who loves me deeply, and he desires to give me a full and abundant life. But do I want what he has provided? Do I always accept and embrace it? No, unfortunately I do not. Sometimes I wish he would provide in a different way. Thankfully, he is a patient father who deals with me graciously. The most important thing he has provided is a way out of sin and back to himself. He has provided a way for me and for you to have an intimate and personal relationship with him. <clears throat> Wherein the more I know him and the more I trust him, the more I understand his plan and how he has equipped me to accomplish that plan. This is the only way for me or anyone to have true peace in this life. As Pastor said in his message, he is in the most beautiful sense of the term, the gift that just keeps on giving. Good morning. God's mercies are new every day. And sometimes, you know, life can just be overwhelming, just living life. This time last week, 
I was just so overwhelmed with just life. Um, when I looked around me, I looked at my calendar last Monday. I had six appointments for the people in my family that ranged from age three to 84. It was a day that I could not take off work because I had like four responses that were due. And all I could do, I'm stressed to say the least, but I was crying out, you know, how am I going to do this? I knew I couldn't do it physically. And then the thing that started rolling through my mind, it was a Monday. They say statistically more heart attacks happen on Monday. My heart was racing. I had really worked myself into a tizzy, and the only thing I knew to do at that point was pray. And it was one of those prayers that was, Lord, I need you right now. And it it seemed like the more I was praying, the more my heart was racing. And I was convinced on my way to take Don to the doctor, I was going to have a heart attack and die. And by later that day, my prayer to God for peace had been answered. I worked that night to like 8 or 9 o'clock that night. But what he showed me is as a child of his, I can cry to him with anything, major or small, And our God, Jehovah Shalom, will give you peace when you need it most. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, He has scattered those who were proud in thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble and has filled the hungry with good things and has sent away the rich empty-handed. I wanted to share two experiences by which I have experienced the mighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've experienced Jesus as my mighty God, when I joined in praying earnestly for the 276 Chibok High School girls in Nigeria who were abducted by Boko Haram in 2014. I never forgot that. God moved his mighty and outstretched arm in a mighty way to bring several of them out of captivity to freedom this year and is working to release the rest of them. How I thank God for the privilege of intercessory prayer. Secondly, I have experienced Jesus as my mighty God when in response to the earnest prayers of the saints, family, and my wife and I, the Almighty has moved again his mighty way to bring about healing and physical strength to our nephew David, Daniel, who Following a motorcycle accident, though he was wearing a helmet, suffered traumatic brain injuries, which medically paralyzed and comatized him for several weeks and months, is now walking and testifying of the power of God in his life and the second chance God gave him. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. And to God we say, thank you and amen. Amen. A few testimonies that I'm sure could be 
multiplied by many more of you. As we think on God's gracious hand, as we think of God as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, the child whose birth we celebrate will come into this world with out-of-this-world wisdom. Uh, And I'll tell you, our world needs that because if our world had the wisdom to fix itself, it would have fixed itself by now. This child who has been born came with out-of-this-world strength, the strength and the power of God himself. This child who has been born has come into this world with everlasting life, out-of-this-world life, out-of-this-world provision and protection. And so that's why it brings us really to the climactic title He is called the Prince of Peace. (laughs) The one who has this out-of-the-world counsel, who has this out-of-the-world strength and power, who has this out-of-the-world life and provision and protection is the one who brings peace. And we rejoice in that. That title, Prince of Peace, takes us to the announcement of the angels that night in Bethlehem. When they said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Glory to God in the highest. That's what these testimonies were about. Glory and praise to God. What we celebrate at Christmas is first and foremost to the praise and the glory of God above. On earth peace. The fulfillment of Isaiah 9-6, referring to to peace as the, the fullness of all the blessings that are associated with the coming of the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That is, those who experience this peace will not be everybody. It will be those whom God favors. It will be those whose trust is in the Lord. To them will come the experience of this peace, this child, the Prince of Peace. The title Prince is just a, a word that refers to someone who exercises dominion. And it was a term that was used to someone who had control over others. It could be in the military, it could be in government, it could be in a community. A Prince of Peace. Perhaps you've heard this word for peace in the Hebrew language. It's the word Shalom. One of those terms a little more familiar. It's a term that refers to wholeness and to soundness. This word peace or shalom is the well-being that characterizes God himself. It is the well-being that that characterizes what God has created this world to be. It is the ideal of God's creation that, that that his redemptive work is seeking to restore. Peace. Shalom. It's a term in the scriptures that was used to describe physical health. It was a term that was used to describe sound relationships, healthy, whole relationships between human beings and God and between uh, human beings with human beings. It's a term that is used to describe the condition of a flourishing world, a world that is at peace 
is a world that is flourishing and thriving in every way that God created it to be. Interestingly, I think that term peace, that term shalom, is actually um, fleshed out in uh, a non-spiritual way. It's, it's actually fleshed out in the preamble to the U.S. Constitution where it says that we, the people, were seeking to establish this government and this nation in order, one, to establish justice. That's part of shalom. To ensure domestic tranquility. That's Shalom. To provide for the common defense when shalom, peace is in place. You don't really have to worry about that. To promote general welfare, general well-being. And to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. That's sort of, a, that's sort of a, an official governmental document description of a dimension of Shalom. You see, this this peace was the condition that God promised to his people Israel under the old covenant of the Old Testament. You read through it, and it it talks about all these blessings that God would bring upon his people. He talked about, about a marvelous, thriving, flourishing life for his people under the old covenant. That's peace that he promised to them. And thus, this child is the prince of peace. His dominion. His headship, his leadership will be characterized by shalom, by peace. As you look at that term in the scriptures, and even as it comes up here in Isaiah chapter 9, it actually is is looking to what I would call the there and then. The there and then. Things then and things there will be exactly as they should be. The, the, the context uh, here in, uh, in Isaiah uh, chapter 9 talks in, in, in the earlier verses in, in chapter 9 about there being the end of warfare. And, and he gives a, a, a great description. He, he says that, uh, that you've broken the yoke of the burden and, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle, and garments rolled in blood, they're going to be used for fuel of fire. He talks about, if you will, the end of war. He talks in that verse about the destruction of all warlike trappings. And the reason it's all destroyed is because they will no longer be necessary. Under the dominion of the Prince of Peace, you will need nothing for war. You want to talk about ultimate disarmament? The Prince of Peace will bring ultimate disarmament to this world because the weapons will no longer be necessary. Under his rule and under his reign, war will cease. And when war ceases, and when people move from, if you will, survival, that, that's, the, that's the, the kind of life that you live during time of war. Many of you are still uh, of, of, the, of the World War II generation, and I read the stories, and there was a sense during that time, a, a survival mentality. We are going to do what we can to survive, to survive and win this war. And what's interesting is after the war was won, then came this era, sort of this era of prosperity, of thriving. When, when, when war ceases, and, and it's no longer just about survival, but now thriving to its fullness, that's when you have shalom, when you have peace. The promise looks to the future. 
It looks to there, and it looks to then. That time out there in the future, there and then, when things will be as they should be. The reason we know we're looking to the future is because in Isaiah chapter 9 and and that verse 7 that, that we read, he talks about this kingdom that will have no end. No end. That is looking to the future. This child will come and he will be the final king. He will be the king who ends all kings. So what this Prince of Peace will bring is in the future. Though we are offered glimpses of it in the world today through God's own children. He will, we are told in the scriptures, this child, he will establish the throne of David in a final way. And he will establish that throne upon upon justice and righteousness instead of violence and coercion. This child will, in fulfillment of the prophecies, in fact be God with us. And the deliverance that is seen in Isaiah chapter 9 is so much more than Israel's immediate deliverance from, from, from Israel and, and Syria and Assyria. It's so much more than that. His will be an endless rule, ushering in peace and human flourishing such as the world has never known. That's the promise of shalom. It's what our world longs for. And it's what seems so elusive to all the efforts that have been put forth to bring it about. Military and political victories never, ever secure it for very long. And they never, ever secure it for everyone. It will only be realized when this child occupies the throne of this world. And that day is coming according to the scriptures. In this season, we celebrate Advent, but we celebrate first Advent. The Bible talks about a second Advent, and that is the return of this child as the conquering king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring the peace to this world that it seems to long for but cannot achieve. It's still future, there and then. So let's talk about here and now. (laughs) Let's talk about here and now because things are not as they should be. When you look at what what peace and what this term shalom, when you look at what what it involves and and the wholeness and the soundness and the flourishing that is associated, you look around our world and you say, well, that's not our world. That's not our world. Things are not as they should be here and now. You see, things were not as they should be in Isaiah's times. Read about that in Isaiah. Actually, you can go back into the Old Testament, uh, into the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and you can read in 1 Chronicles, and especially in 2 Chronicles, during that era in Israel's history. And things were on and off, sometimes good, sometimes bad, mostly bad, ending bad. And so during the times in which Isaiah the prophet was prophesying, things were not good because of sin. In fact, you go back and, and uh, there's, a, there's a chapter in 2 Chronicles 28 that talks about, just gives you a little snapshot of the 16 years that King Ahaz reigned over Judah. 
And unlike his father and grandfather, it says that Ahaz did not fear the Lord. He did not honor the Lord. And in that chapter, you read probably what would have been maybe the worst day of his reign. Because there had been a coalition to the north of the kingdom of Israel and of Syria who had joined together and they came up and they did war against King Ahaz. And in that day, we're told in 2 Chronicles 28 that King Ahaz lost 120,000 soldiers from his army. The text says these were trained warriors killed in that day. And the text also says that in that day, 200,000 women and children were taken captive. And the text also tells us in that day that the conquerors came in and they plundered the land. They took, they took lots and lots of stuff. That's a pretty bad day in a king's reign. Because he has failed to be provider, protector, and helper. And because he had turned his back on the Lord, there was no help from the Lord. Ahaz, his way out of the situation was to, he went up to the temple of the Lord. Okay, You read about that in the Old Testament, that beautiful temple that Solomon had built there in Jerusalem with treasures and gold and silver and all this. King Ahaz went up to the temple and he, he began taking all the treasures out of the temple. He began taking the gold and all that had been used there in, in the temple to construct it. He began to, to go to the treasuries of the temple and he took all this stuff out of the temple of the Lord to go buy some political help from Assyria. He went to a foreign power and said, I need some help, I need some protection. So he went and Ahaz raided the house of the Lord, the temple, to buy some political help. And the text tells us that the end result of that was that worship was shut down in the temple. Which is not surprising when you see in that chapter that during the time of Isaiah and the time of King Ahaz, spiritually things were not good in the nation. Ahaz helped lead the people into idol worship and it says he he built idols and put them all over the land and he set up shrines and forests. Horribly, he set up in the worship child sacrifice and some of his own children were sacrificed on the altar to these false gods. This is not a good time. This is a horrible time in the life of Israel. And the tragedy of it all is King Ahaz was a descendant of King David. He was supposed to be the one carrying on the promise that God had given to David. And instead, he has turned away from the Lord. He's turned the hearts of the people away from the Lord. And it is a sad day of fear and suffering and uncertainty, what Isaiah describes as gloom because of sin. That was the here and now for Isaiah and for the kingdom of Judah. Things were not as they should be because of sin. It's no different in our, in our times. I mean, things are not as they should be in our world today, and I'm not giving you any newsflash on that. I mean, you, 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 you know, in your own life you experience it and you see it in, uh, in, in the news stories. I mean, human relationships are, are broken, beyond broken. Uh, we, we live in a, in, in a world that, that sometimes nature seems all that, not all that friendly to humans between hurricanes and and floods and fires 
And we have these, all these natural disasters, and, and we hear about diseases all the time, and we're surrounded by death. That, that is not a description of shalom. That's devastation. And the breaking and the fracturing of human relationships, the political wars, I mean all-out political wars. There's economic wars. You're reading about the past couple of weeks. There's ethnic wars. There's gender wars. Why is all that? It's because of sin. Sin is why there is injustice in the world. Sin is why there is abuse in this world. You know, and not to mention human relationships with God. Broken. There's no shalom. See, the problem, as the scriptures tell us, and we see it in the times of Isaiah, the problem is sin. Because the scriptures tell us that, 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 if you will, this concept of shalom, peace, that's what was lost back in Genesis in the fall of mankind. Peace was lost between humans and God when humans decided that they were going to do their own thing. Adam and Eve decided they were going to write their own rules for their world. And in that moment, peace evaporated. And so they came into conflict with God. And we read in Genesis 3 that, if you will, nature all of a sudden became less cooperative. A little bit more of an adversary. Because sin separates And sin alienates, and you see it in human relationships. You see it in the divisions in our world. You see it in the alienation from one another. It puts us at odds with God, and it creates wars. It it creates wars among individuals. It, It creates wars among groups of people. Listen, it creates wars within our own being. Scriptures tell us there is no peace, by the way, for the wicked. So, how do we get from here to there? How do we get from now to then? What's the hope? What's the solution? Two options. Two options. Option number one, the world offers a dream. The world offers a dream to to get us from where we are here and now to where we would like to be there and then. Offers a dream. In 1971, John Lennon recorded, released a song that perhaps, well, is one of the most performed Songs of the 20th century, one of the most popular songs of all time, the song Imagine. It will be performed again in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Uh, it is often performed at the Olympics when you bring all these athletes from around the world, gathered in one place and gathered in one arena. Invariably, that song will be performed. 
It is a song, however, of contradictions. It is a song that suggests possibilities without any practical solutions. So it, it creates, a, it creates a, a hope, but gives you absolutely nothing of what you can do with that hope. Uh, in, in that song, uh, Lenin called upon people to imagine abandoning religious, political, and economic systems. Somehow, if we can abandon these things here in this world, this is what divides. This is what p- puts people at odds with each other, at war with, e- with each other. And so he sings of, of imagining no heaven or hell, no countries or religion, no possessions. What, what's strange is that, that, to me, that conjures up images of a system that's already been tried and failed. A system that has already been tried and failed and in fact continues to to try to be tried in the world. And what it actually yields is is greed and covetousness and oppression. And it doesn't solve oppression and it doesn't solve hunger. Some have uh, said uh, in in the song, they've actually called out the hypocrisy of a a millionaire rock star living in a mansion encouraging listeners to imagine their lives without possessions. One defender observes, and I would say, and herein is the problem, one one defender said this, Lenin knew he had nothing concrete to offer, so instead he offers a dream. And that's where the world leaves us. Getting from here and now to there and then, the world leaves us with a dream. What they offer is nothing but a wish. Isn't it interesting in this Christmas season how many Christmas songs are about wishing? You know, go back through those Christmas songs if you haven't heard them enough already. And how many of them wish? Often they're wishing for, in all honesty, shalom. Wishing that your dream could come true. But we realize that what is offered is nothing but imagination that is torn apart by the realities of our world. So the world offers a dream. Second option. God offers a child. His name is Jesus. He offers a child. And his name is Jesus. So how, how, will, this, how will this child bring, bring this about? How, how will this child bring about this peace, this shalom, that is so elusive. Well, we learn from the scriptures that he will do so by killing the sin problem. You see, he, he is going to kill the sin problem that destroys shalom. Which means this child's peacemaking mission confronts you. It confronts me with the problem of our own heart. 
When Jesus came that first time, he didn't go after the systems of the world. He came to remedy the deeper problem, which was the heart problem. You see, until you kill the sin problem, you've not settled the war problem. Until you kill the sin problem, there can be no lasting peace. And and therein is the problem. Everyone wants to fix the world, but not themselves. They want to fix the world's problems, but not honor God. I mean, you can start ticking off the problems that have confronted us in the past year, two, three years. All the problems that everyone wants to fix, they want to fix them, but, but not honor God. And we've seen over and over again where human relationships go when God, the creator of heaven and earth, when God is not honored. You know, the first commandment is that we are to love the Lord our God with all that we are. And Jesus said the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what you realize in that is that we are to love God and love neighbor, and you really can't do one without the other. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. Because one of the primary ways in which we love God is by loving our neighbor. It's how we show it. Because it's not just coming in and declaring and saying how much we love God and I love Jesus and I love God does that and I love God and I love God and doing nothing. It is what we do. It is we we show the love that we have for God by how we treat our fellow human beings. That is what reveals the change that has happened in our heart according to to, to God's word and and the standards and the commandments that he, has, that he has put. I mean, ultimately, yes, it's all about loving God. He is supreme above all. And the way we do that is in the nitty-gritty of life, in our relationships one with another, which those commandments are impossible to live out perfectly without the help of God, which means loving your neighbor as you are called to love your neighbor becomes a demonstration of the transformation of God within you. They go together. They go together. Same is true with this matter of peace. We want peace among mankind without seeking peace with God. And it won't happen. It won't happen. The reason we don't love our neighbor is because we don't love God. The reason we're not at peace with fellow humans is because we're not at peace with God. This is why imagine... It's nothing more than imagination, a dream. It seeks peace with mankind while shutting God out of the equation. It seeks peace with mankind but offers no way to solve the heart problem. So how did this child then kill the sin problem? 1 John chapter 3 says this. You know he, in, in this context, he is referring to Jesus Christ. So he is referring to this child that Isaiah 9, 6 speaks of. You know that he appeared, that's what we're celebrating right now, 
God appeared. He came into this world in human flesh. That's what John's talking about. You know that he appeared, why? To take away our sins. It's why he came. It's what the first advent of Christ was all about, was to take away our sins, to deal with the heart problem. Came to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning because there's a change that happens when the Prince of Peace comes into your life. He goes on in in verse 8, and the the last part of verse 8, he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? It's sin. It's sin. It's sin that destroys us. It's sin that brings death. It's sin that gets rid of shalom and chases it as far away as it can. The Son of Man, this child, the Prince of Peace, appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's how he's brought peace. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 wrote these words. He says, in Jesus, again, this is the child of Isaiah 9-6, in Jesus All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God come in human flesh. And through him, that is through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. That's an act of peacemaking, whether on earth or in heaven. Look at this. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled. He's brought us back. He's made peace. How did he do it? Through the shedding of his blood. How did he do it? He went to the cross. And by going to the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself what it was we had done that created hostility with God. He didn't do anything wrong. We are the ones who did the wrong things. And if you will, cut ourselves off from God, made ourselves enemies of God, rebelled against him in the highest form, bringing upon ourselves alienation from God, judgment from God. And what did Jesus do? Jesus went to the cross and he took all that on himself. He paid for my rebellion. He paid for my hostility. He paid for my sin. And yours as well. He paid for that which separates us from God. Which cuts us off from him. Jesus took that on himself. Paying it in full. So that now we can be reconciled. So that now we can have shalom. To the fullest. In our lives. Romans 5, one. Paul simply says, since we have been justified, we have been declared righteous, how by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has brought us back to our maker. He has brought us back to our creator. This child has made peace. See, you cannot, you cannot find shalom apart from the cross. People 
and, and, and we've been there ourselves, and, and you, you have people in, in your own lives and, and governments always trying to make an end run around the cross. You know, maybe I can scoot around this way, or maybe I can somehow get up over this wall, or maybe I can dig out, down underneath it. And, and people in governments all the time trying to make an end run around the cross, seeking peace, but they don't find it. Because if you make an end run around the cross, what you end up with is not what we're talking about. You end up with something that's shallow. You end up with something that's temporary. Peace through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, a dream or a child? Which do you choose? You know, imagination and faith are not the same thing. Imagination, when you're exercising your imagination, you are, you're picturing a dream, a, you're, you're picturing yeah, a dream of, of what might be. Nothing wrong, with, nothing wrong with engaging the imagination. But with our imaginations, we picture a dream of what might be. Faith, on the other hand, is believing the promise of what will be. Not what might be, what will be. It's that salvation and restoration that we have through Christ. It will take more than human imagination to bring peace on earth. It will take divine intervention. And that's what we celebrate here in this Christmas season. God has intervened. God has come. The Prince of Peace has come. So you see, by, by faith, we can imagine a better world because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. The gospel pathway to peace, if you will, the gospel pathway to shalom goes through the heart of the individual and to the cross. On the other side of the cross is true shalom for the individual, for the family, for the community, for the church, for the whole world. So I just ask you this morning, have you, have you made peace with God? the shed blood of Jesus Christ. No other way to get there. You've got you to come to the cross. You've got to come through the blood of Christ. Have you made peace with God? I'm not just talking about, you know, having your, your affairs settled. Have you made peace with God through Jesus Christ who died for you. And then this question, are you bringing peace to others through the grace of the Prince of Peace? That, that's where, you know, we, we talk about this, this shalom is future, but I'll tell you what, through the church of Jesus Christ, through Christians, 
we can offer glimpses, <laughs> glimpses of shalom. It's not perfect yet, but, but little glimpses to the people around us. Is that what we're doing? His name will be called the Prince of Peace. And we praise him. Father, thank you for the coming of Christ, our Savior, the Prince of Peace, who, brings to, who, who has come to bring life, to bring fullness of life, who comes to bring joy, fullness of joy. He did so not by overthrowing systems, but by overthrowing Satan by destroying death and sin through his own death and resurrection. We praise him. We worship him. We exalt him, our Savior Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Father, this morning for any who come, they've never put their trust in Jesus Christ. They've never sought from him forgiveness for their sin. They have never, in the words of Scripture, called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Right now, Lord, where they are sitting, in this place, in this moment, might you, with your powerful gospel and your spirit, press in upon them. Convict them of their need, Lord God. There is no other way to know this peace than through the forgiveness we have in Christ. Today, Lord God, draw them in. Open their eyes. May they call upon you to be their Savior. Lord God, and as we go from this place, may we go as those filled with the peace that the Prince of Peace brings. Peace in our relationships one with another in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. May we bring hope through Christ our Savior. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to sing as we finish our time this morning in worship. This is a time for you to respond to the Lord. His word calls upon us to do so. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, again, I I plead with you right there where you're at to call out to him right now. Confessing your sin, ask him to come into your life and forgive you, give you his life. Trust him. Trust completely and fully in what Christ has done. Call out to him and he will save you. We'd love to talk with you and perhaps pray with you as we sing it is our common practice to give an invitation in our morning service time, and the invitation is simply respond to God and come, come to him if, if, it, if the need is salvation. Coming forward isn't going to save you, but it will allow someone to go aside with you, open the word of God, pray with you, and answer questions you might have so that you might know for certain that you have made peace with God through Jesus Christ. So you come. I invite you in that moment, but... God's invitation doesn't close, then we are available. We count it a privilege to talk with you. Believer, perhaps there's some things you know need to be settled in your own heart in this matter of peace with God. Let's honor him by yielding to him, even as we close our time this morning. So Lord, may Christ be praised. 
as we in faith respond to him in Jesus' name.